John, we're only 96 or so hours away from the Oscars. Uh, so what do you think will be boy. the final controversy of this news cycle? <laughs> They're going to uh, declare all the hosts will be wearing blackface. And um, in observance, in honor of Billy Crystal, in honor of you know the Virginia governor and Billy Crystal, they're going to show <laughs> yeah. that guys, we're taking it back. All right, it's not as controversial <laughs> as you think it is. If anything, nope. it's just comedy gold. They're reaffirming comedy tradition. They they want to speak to the original talkie, uh, the jazz singer, wearing Al Jolson also wore blackface. There um, you go. That's that's a little history. That's how I like to start every show is to show you that I know things. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Greg's smart, and he, what's yeah. great is that he's very secure, you know, about his intelligence. That's why he doesn't need to show it off. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, speaking of showing that intelligence, uh, this year will be a hostless Oscars, the first time since 1989. Um, which people remember for Rob Lowe and Snow White doing like a musical number that was embarrassing for everybody. <laughs> Wait, how? Who played Snow White? I don't, some actress who worked for Scale. It doesn't okay, matter. Okay. <laughs> but she sang falsetto like the original like movie. Hmm. And so like everybody like it was like piercing to the ear, and then they brought out like young Hollywood stars like Corey Feldman, and uh, <laughs> and they just did a stupid musical number and they embarrassed themselves. And so why was there no host on the nineteen eighty nine Oscars? I I don't think it was over like nobody wanting to say yes, <laughs> as was the case this year, or everybody having old problematic tweets or something or other. I think it was more. A transitionary period because uh, Bob Hope had like retired at this point. He hosted the Oscars for I don't know twenty times at that point, <laughs> something ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> and Billy Crystal hadn't done it yet, so they couldn't just like they didn't have him on speed dial or Whoopi <laughs> Goldberg or Ellen DeGeneres or Chris Rock. So well, Whoopi Goldberg's only done it like once, right? Uh, twice technically. Oh, okay. All right. Te- technically. <laughs> yeah. We don't count it though. No, we've moved on. Exactly. Which, speaking of moving on, it surprised me that they didn't go with the obvious choice, David Letterman. <laughs> he could have done. He could have updated his uh, Oprah or Uma <laughs> bit. There's like there's this great new documentary series out called uh, Lorraine, and it's about the Bobbitt case. And just kind oh, of Lorena. What's that? Lor- it's Lorena. You just said Lorena. Excuse me. Uh, Sorry, I apologize. I'm not going to pass up an opportunity. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And they show some like very problematic like old clips about how the people interpreted that story. And David Letterman mm-hmm. is just some of the worst. <laughs> but also, oh. he's actually the part of the reason why they include him is because he does correct himself. He's like, uh, you know, ten years later, he's like caught on camera saying like, yeah, some of the jokes I said were absolutely terrible, and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> As opposed to you know people like Howard Stern who are also joking about that and still have not apologized. So Kelsapreece, yeah. Uh, I I do give David David Letterman credit for that. Um, I'm one of the few people who didn't grow up with him, so I never found him funny. So, <laughs> but at least he does have some well self awareness. So there you go. For that. Yeah, he's like Chevy Chase with self awareness. Good for him. Yeah, but I think uh, one final uh, controversy surrounding the Oscars mm-hmm. uh, will be um, an exclusion of all the acting categories <laughs> and. <laughs> No, 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 they wouldn't dare. All the technical no, awards that all not. the nerds care about, those those get relegated to the sidelines, to the dregs. But of course, that is why we're here. John, this, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Ah, uh, yes. I don't know why I welcomed you. I meant to welcome <laughs> Oh, oh, listeners. look where I am. Here I am. Yes, yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, you've hit record, right? Or, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I am recording. Holy crap. Has, that, has wow. all that been on tape? So... 
you know, we like to re-examine classics that we're seeing for the very first time. <laughs> and uh, this whole month has been about the Oscar movies. Yes. And we're going by decade. And I wanted to look at the last Academy Award winner for Best Picture that I actually have not seen. Wow. I've seen everyone since then. I'm, I'm a bit of a cinephile, as it were. <laughs> I've actually seen this movie about three times now, but <laughs> it'll okay. be interesting to hear your first impressions of it. Well, I'm sure you loved it just as much as the last time, as everybody did back in 2008. Of course, we're talking about The Inimitable, Danny Boyle-directed Slumdog Millionaire. I said inimitable. I mean, he's clearly aping from City of God and <laughs> Bollywood movies and a bunch no, of other stuff. No, are he's, you kidding? He's, he's well, I mean, for this movie, yes, in particular, but he's always had a very kinetic, crazy, frenetic style, like going all the way back to train spotting. Well, exactly. And he came up from the VCR generation of filmmakers uh, who came of age in the 90s, or not came of age, but started their career in the 90s. And you see all these touches and traces of the films and TV shows and music that they loved as children. Mm -hmm. And music videos, should we say? Because <laughs> yeah, I think he would, he would make a great uh, music video director. Uh, you know, as a filmmaker, if, if he hasn't eh, already, yeah. hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yesterday hasn't come out. Maybe that'll blow my mind. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I at least admire the the not not the fantasy behind it. That's a Richard Curtis uh, scripted fantasy. <laughs> okay. The guy behind Love Actually and About Time and a few other weird, not weird, but just uh, <laughs> stayed boring uh, romantic comedies with a with a little fantasy twist. <laughs> Let's call it contrived, shall we? <laughs> That's a good word for it. That's the perfect word for it, in fact. And we'll see how it melds with Mr. Boyle's style, uh, at least in the trailer for yesterday. He seems to slow down. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to ask of Slumdog Millionaire is just slow the F down. <laughs> oh, Greg, come on. It's a two-hour movie. It's pretty, it's pretty interestingly paced. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, this was my first time seeing it. I can't remember a single detail. <laughs> Because it moves so fast, it, so it has. A, I did notice a lot of the other hallmarks of uh, Best Picture winners. It has um, our stars of the movie are told at three different eras of their lives, like like Moonlight. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene in which a child has to escape, well, not escape, but uh, go through a porter john and get covered in feces and urine, mm -hmm. just like Schindler's List, yep. another Best Picture winner. And of course the the yearning dramatic uh, romantic <laughs> plot that you see in like Dr. Zhivago and a ton of other old Oscar movies from yore. So which feels also completely superfluous in this movie as well, but I mean, hey, that's what makes it Oscar bait. <laughs> Yeah, and I, the reason I brought up City of God cuz I kind of have the same criticism that I have for this movie. Mm -hmm. 
and it's uh, it's basically what Roger Ebert said about another of Danny Boyle's movies. Like, I'm sure he's made like a good film, mm-hmm. but it has to be more than that. It also has to reflect life and and, and energy and realism well, to some extent. Like, it it has to feel real as well. And there comes a point in the movie. I think it's when the, one of these age transitions to to Dev Patel and Frida Pinto and all the other adult actors, mm-hmm. where I like, okay, is this is this a, really a portrait of kids in poverty in India, or is it a, a romantic fantasy where a kid rises out of the ashes of or the, or mud and, and dust in this case of, mm-hmm. of Mumbai's slums and and becomes an instant millionaire? Like, what which is it? Mm-hmm. And so, in addition to just the the filmmaking giving me a headache <laughs> because I'm an old man. <laughs> I couldn't quite square any of the details on how we like got there. Really? Okay. So maybe yeah. it's because this is the third time I've seen this movie. I had the exact opposite reaction, which is like eye-rollingly obvious how everything kind of <laughs> leads into each other. The the catchphrase for this movie, the tagline, if it, as it were, is "It is written," implying that mm. everything that you're about to experience is destiny, and it was foretold, and it is going to happen regardless of the character's kind of intent or actions, which. You know, now looking at it, I was like, well, that makes a very kind of boring film because they have no agency. Like, this was always (laughs) just kind of meant to happen. And so the crux of the plot, in case people need to be reminded, is the fact that Jamal, this kid who's originally from the slums, he's originally from an impoverished uh, background from India, uh, Mm -hmm. gets his chance to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he uh, he isn't doing this for the money. He's doing it so he can reach out to um, this girl that he's held a torch for all his life. And he wants to reach out to her. And he can't find her, so he's like, I'm going to be on national television, that's how I'll find her. Yeah. Um, and ironically, in a twist of fate, because it is written, all of the questions he gets asked throughout the game show tie back into a certain specific anecdote of his life. And that is how he is able to answer them. Because as a kid from the slums, he obviously has no formal education. He can't possibly be that bright, or at least that's the assumption about him. But thankfully, every single question that he gets asked has a has a story and that's the flashback structure the framed narrative that we have now and i think in terms of structure that makes it quite interesting i do love the frenetic pace of it because i think it works in terms of like memory you know he's he's obviously remembering it it's jumbled it's not exactly kind of clear but and then to contrast that once we cut back to the who wants to be a millionaire it's all quiet it's all steady it's all state it's that perfect kind of dramatic and tension dis- coming from the control there. No, oh really I don't think oh. he can help himself oh, no come on <laughs> no i wish it was more reflective of the show like a little bit more tension that that conceit didn't annoy me as much as i thought it would like well clearly because i knew going into this movie that he's going to know each answer based on his life experiences so well it's it is written greg to, you already know how it's going to end yes of course of course he's going to end up winning the whole spoiler alert he's going to end up winning the whole 20 million rupee jackpot without having to break a single pot that's a legend of zelda joke dun, 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 dun. thank you but you're welcome <laughs> Of course you know that going in, and you think like that deflates all the dramatic tension, but it is more interesting when, say, there, there's a little hiccup in it, say, when the host tries to give, feed him a different answer, um, obviously, uh, the obvious wrong answer, yep. <laughs> or when he admits that he doesn't really know, and, you know, it's it doesn't flash back to him in the box with the detective, played by uh, our friend Khan, mm-hmm. you know, explaining how exactly he knew the answer without cheating. Mm-hmm. So that that's fine. But again, like in terms of the freneticism, I maybe it's a difference of opinion in terms of how I like 
that style to be applied in terms of like, oh, it's a it's an impressionistic memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it more, say, uh, in the in the style of Terrence Malick or something, something a oh, bit more poetic. <laughs> oh, yeah. You need um, because... more long shots of him putting his his fingers between blades of grass. Yes. <laughs> Quoting because, a Bible verse. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, quoting a Bible verse or something. Maybe evoking some kind of nostalgia. Because, mm. like, why is he overjoyed? Because the very first anecdote involves, um, like, what celebrity starred in this movie. And mm-hmm. it flashes back to him. Again, the aforementioned, like, he's locked in a Porter John. He wants to see the celebrity who's coming in on a helicopter. How the heck am I going to get out of this Porter John? I, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I have to go down into the into the poo-filled muck. Yeah, exactly. and get him to sign my photo, and he does, mm-hmm. and he's overjoyed by that. But it's kind of the it, the tone of it is just there's something about it that's off. <laughs> well, I don't. It's not that I think th- that's not the main key point of that scene. Mm-hmm. Is not to the great lengths that he would go to get this autograph. Again, the the point of the flashback structure and a lot of the point to those scenes is to also set up his relationship with his brother Salim aka the biggest douchebag who has ever been committed <laughs> to cinema because his brother is the is an asshole just constantly to him and completely irredeemable until the very end so i guess it makes up for it <laughs> and so the whole point of him you know the the reason why he's locked in the port john is because Salim locked him in there yeah. and then he finally gets the autograph what's the first thing Salim does steals it and pawns it for money <laughs> yeah. so all these flashbacks are basically you know, his history with this girl that he's obviously pined for his whole life, but also, you know, his brother Salim just being a constant obstacle in his life. <laughs> and, you know, how does he reconcile that? You know, the fact that his brother is technically the only person, the only constant family he's had, but is also just a massive dick and just an <laughs> asshole and selfish and just only looks Not out for himself. Not just to him, also an unrepentant murderer. <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> Now, granted, you can kind of justify it in that uh, in this instance when he when he actually does kill. Again, mm-hmm. he's like that drug lord in City of God. A lot of echoes in that of that movie in Slumdog Millionaire. But that scene, you could justify it in that he's rescuing Lakita from mm-hmm. being under the thumb of this drug lord, this other drug lord, kind of lower boss though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he, uh, and he basically, uh, but he essentially parlays that again. Shows no remorse for it, and parlays that into a job for the bigger, the big boss, <laughs> the, the higher drug lord, the Scarface in these slums of, of Mumbai. I mean, we call them drug lords, but we really only know that by visual cues. <laughs> we exactly. don't really actually see them. Like so, the, the, well, the first one, he's got like a little army of child beggars, which. On a third viewing, I'm like, all right, how much is he really making money? Like begging, like there's, like begging is not a great source of income. Like, <laughs> and also think of the cost to feed these kids. Like, come on. <laughs> well, that's why they have to resort to blinding them. So I guess that's true. I, th- yeah. That's why I was more, I was more enamored by the, uh, not enamored, but maybe that's not the right, right word, but engrossed by the first half of the movie uh, because it was a. A side of Mumbai that we don't generally see outside of documentaries like Born into Brothels or something. Like mm-hmm. very few movies, I think, do go into the lower dregs and see these untouchables, mm. essentially kind of try to climb out of poverty. And so that that I was engrossed by. Um, again, it's it's sickening to like even see, and I didn't actually look up the veracity of it, but it's sickening to see these kids basically turn into beggars, but also be blinded because blind kids who sing make twice as much as, as regular, you know, un, unmalformed kids do. Um, I mean, so but to, are they paying, like, statisticians to figure this out? That's the other I don't, I don't know. It's exactly. like, how do they yeah, calculate? It's too, well, if it does, if it is true, it's too, 
unfortunately stomach turning to even think about. Yeah, of um, course. And you know, it comes to a much more compelling direction, or at least entertaining one, when they do kind of bilk uh, German and European tourists out of mm-hmm. <laughs> out of their money by pretending to be tour guides at the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Like that's entertaining. But yeah, it's when we it's when we go like really off into fantasy land, and not even fantasy land, but movie land of like, oh no, our our precious Lakita is now under the thumb of this uh, the drug lord, and, yeah. and we know he's a drug lord because of all those signifiers, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the open shirt. He's mean to women. He's got a house with a big fancy gate in front. <laughs> yes, and a car in the driveway, and he comes home in the middle of the day. What could he be doing to get all this money? <laughs> Like I said, a lot of visual signifiers, but we don't actually sell him, see him do any crime. No, exactly. <laughs> Please, what time is the next tour? We are on a very tight schedule, you see. Have to see the Red Cross this afternoon. Please, would it be possible to show us around now? Obviously, we understand that it costs more, but just the two of us. But of course, madam. Please follow me. The Taj Mahal was built by Emperor Khurram for his wife Mumtaz, who was the maximum beautiful woman in the world. Now, when she died, the emperor decided to build this five-star hotel for everyone who would like to visit the tomb. But he died in 1587 before any of the rooms were built or any of the lifts. But the swimming pool, as you can see, was completed on schedule in top-class fashion. Says nothing of this in the guidebook. The guidebook was written by a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothing Indian beggars. Oh. And we establish this friendship between him and his brother. Like, obviously, his brother horribly mistreats him. But we do see Jamal as a young start to pine for young Lakita. She's, he's nice to her when they're young. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he continues to go after her after they've been separated. Um, but it's when they become adults that I also lost it. Because now they're adults of age who finally understand romance and um, attraction mm-hmm. to one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what does Jamal do to woo her? Well... I mean, not much. He's just like, I'm gonna get you out of here. <laughs> exactly. She just becomes a damsel in distress, and it's like we've 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 fallen over into fantasy land again. Yeah. I guess um, it... Whereas the first half, it's much more compelling. Yeah, and the other thing too is like at this point, you know, at first she was just like a little girl being a beggar. Now she's like obviously being trained into becoming a prostitute or a lady yeah. of the evening. So mm-hmm. yes, he d- there's a little more urgency there that he needs to quote unquote save her. Yeah. I mean, well, bringing it back to just, like, the betrayal of India in this movie, it does try to seem like it's kind of uh, capturing a warts-and-all view of India, obviously, with the mm-hmm. um, the crime and the poverty and also the corrupt police force who think it's <laughs> it's imperative to torture a potential, you know, game show cheat. Um, I don't know if it's because it was, well, like, 2008. We were only a few years separated from, like, Abu Ghraib, so they're like, oh, yeah, we got to show the real shit. We got to show them getting waterboarded. The 2000s, we loved our torture, didn't we? Oh, yes. That's, yeah. that's that was the hard, You say terrorist, and everyone went, ooh. <laughs> That's how you get those eyeballs. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's because it's because of nine eleven. It it enlightened us some bloodlust, and so we went to we went to the theaters. We actually sought out these experiences in movies yep. like Hostel and Saw. Twenty four was the biggest TV program. Let yeah. me tell you, kids, gather around. Let me tell you. I I don't think that speaks to police brutality as much as it does as Jamal's station in life. I think that's the warts and all that it's trying to, because they keep calling him a chaiwala and this uh, literal slum dog. Like, 
this is something else to speak to. Um, India is still a very heavily caste society. Mm-hmm. So what it, the impression that I was getting is that this culture still sees uh, Jamal as the dregs of society, and he still belongs there, and that makes his ascension through who wants to be a millionaire even more unlikely. Mm, exactly. But the other thing, too, is I guess the other you know problematic aspect of this, this is all a view of India coming through a British white guy's perspective. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so it's this like is how... directed by noted British white man, Danny Boyle, <laughs> and written by other noted British white man, Simon Pufoy. Exactly. So it's like, how how much can we trust this perspective? Let's be real about it. And well, again, like, which and is we've why, been... yeah, which is why uh, Danny Boyle needed a co-director, uh, lovely Tandon. I mean, we should probably give her credit, because I think she also cast the uh, three young urchins, um, mm. Who now have found who, also from the slums of uh, Mumbai, who now have a little trust and now have a step up in life that they wouldn't normally have without this film, uh, basically exploding in popularity as it did. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all fine. That's all fine, but it's still <laughs> problematic. Okay, she should have been the sole director. That's true. I mean, maybe it's also it just ties back in with how you know, like how we've been complaining about how calculated all the little cliches are, like how kind of Oscar baity the movie feels. Mm-hmm. But also, like ugh, I can't fault it for that because again, like that's what makes it an interesting and compelling story, as opposed to like they're, they're obviously not setting out to make an art house piece or like a documentary about the lives of people in India. You know, it's meant to be a fantasy and it's meant to be a crowd pleaser, and we're all supposed to you know get up and clap, clap. I clap when I saw it. <laughs> but John, is it? Why do we have those scenes of kids in slums earlier? Like you can't have it both ways, is what I'm trying mm. to say. <laughs> See, I admire it when they try. That's the thing. I'm like, you thought this was a good idea, <laughs> and you know what? You tried it, and you didn't think think twice when you saw it in the editing bay. <laughs> I get. I guess not. Nor did audiences think twice when they saw it in theaters, and or Academy voters when they decided to vote. It over, I don't know, a superior film like uh, I don't know, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, um, oh, which I like. Sorry, oh, no, this is where it all comes down to. This is what, Greg's favorite movie, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah, with Greg's favorite thirst trap, David Fincher. <laughs> teach me, Daddy. Teach me how to how directing works. <laughs> no, it's it's Kate Blanchett, John. Oh, okay. She's she's a vision. All right, I don't care how tall she. is. Oh, she's just tall. <laughs> she would be tall. She would be talented regardless of her height. Okay, fine. God is good, bhai. God is good. Mamans guys are after us. We just had to skip. Naya. Left a message for you at work? There was no message. I definitely left a message. There was no message. There was no message. There was no message! <laughs> we'll never forgive you. So should we get to the ending? Um, it feels like we're kind of rushing through, but then again, it kind of captures the spirit of this movie. <laughs> oh, 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 there's trains going by. Um, yeah, spoiler alert, he wins Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah. Even after, I guess that's the other problem with this movie. There's too many antagonists. Like the police are already antagonists against him. His yeah. brother is 
the biggest dick on the planet. And then we get the little subplot with the host who uh, apparently is also kind of a, from the same background, also a slum dog who eventually worked his way up in one. And he clearly wants to be the only one who's ever done this. So he feeds yeah. Jamal the wrong answer. Jamal thinks better of it and answers correctly. Hmm. And so it's like, there, there's just too many kind of obstacles, which I don't know, like kind of, again, goes back to the whole contrived feeling of the movie but again it is written so it's like it already spelled it out for you so i guess you can't really well, complain they're obstacles but they're they're barely like surmount insurmountable ones like mm. like the the host feeding him the wrong answer like i i knew immediately like in spite of the it's what a corny twist it is like i knew immediately it was the wrong one mm-hmm. uh the drug lord uh, at, we only see one scene of him kind of antagonizing uh, Lakita and Jamal, who snuck into his mansion, but we don't see him be particularly villainous at this point. No. Also, the two detectives who torture him at the very beginning, th- the rest of the time, treat him relatively well. Uh, classic, mm. classic Stockholm Syndrome technique. <laughs> Abuse, and then, <laughs> and then shower them with love and affection so that you get them on your side. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Psychological games going on now, I see. Yeah. Now I see. Um, even Salim, like... Because, again, he's been a dick the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And eventually, and we, we know he's a murderer, too. Like, that's the other thing. Like, we get visual uh, visual indicators that, you know, like, he's basically a hitman for the mob now, or this mob boss. Yeah. But I guess after seeing Jamal and seeing how well he's done on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, he just has that sudden change of heart and betrays the mob boss, lets Lakita go, and then basically dies in a shootout. Like, that felt... For how long the third act is, how long we spend with adult Jamal... Like, that heel turn just kind of came way too quickly for me. <laughs> well, not a heel turn. I mean, he's As you said, he's repentant and he reaches out. Well, and that's one detail I might have missed, is when exactly does uh, Salim reach out to Jamal to reconcile? Because it's a... It's a dramatic scene that takes place on the top of this high rise that's in the middle of the construction. And obviously it looks great because um, it's a movie and, and this scene has to take place somewhere interesting. Mm-hmm. So he reaches out and says, hey, meet me at the top of this construction site. Um, Jamal's allowed to just wander on or whatever. I mean, there's too many people in India to keep track of anyway. So. <laughs> well, so the uh, yeah. was he on the show at that point or was he? No, oh, no. He had called him. He's, he, he had was called at the call him. center. Yeah. yeah, so Jamal was working at a call center, and mm-hmm. he just looks up everyone in the country with the name Salam Mal- 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 Malik, yeah. Malik, and basically calls and randomly, because it is written, he finds the right yeah. one, and that's how they reconnect. But again, they're still kind of like, they, they left off on bad terms, and they kind of just kind of like pick up way too quickly. Because mm-hmm. again, it was Salim who kind of like forced him out and let Lakita stay, or yes. you know, forced and cucked her to him. stay. Also cucked him, took his girlfriend. Oh, totally <laughs> cucked him. <laughs> He's a to- Jamal's a total soy boy, guys. <laughs> Let's be real. He's, John, I won't, I won't say soy boy, but I will borrow another parlance of the alt-right. Uh, Def Patel, God bless him. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Uh, just a wooden block of an actor. Oh, just, I think nothing. he's fine. He's no, fine. All the actors there, equip but... themselves just fine. Yeah. I think they're all good. Come on, what do you, like, what do you, what do you, come on, we have three different actors. he barely registers any excitement. He, he doesn't smile. Now, granted, the character is like, I, I don't care about the winnings. I just want to know where Lakita is. And the, the phone call dramatically cut off when he phones a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I can understand, I guess I can understand from a character motivation why he's, why he's so dumbfounded when he actually does win. But yeah, I, I didn't buy the performance that much or out of Dev Patel you know again probably a very nice guy I don't want to criticize too deeply <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you haven't seen Lion yet, good sir. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you. A tour de force performance. <laughs> Opposite Nicole Kidman. Yeah. But then also uh, the, the big climax involving Salim. Like, I don't know why. First of all, he hears, the drug lord hears uh, Lakita on the phone and immediately registers like, oh, they're, they're, pl- they're plotting against me somehow or something. Mm-hmm. And so he rushes to the bathroom, and because it's a movie, um, <laughs> Salim decides I have to die dramatically. I'm going to do it by putting all the all these rupees in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, getting in and 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 staging this incredible shootout here. <laughs> yeah, very Scarface esque way to go out. Yeah, which I guess fits with the whole, you know, gangster symbolism which they're obviously going for. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, again, it just kind of felt too quick and overly dramatic and it, it didn't feel earned for and contrived because... and phony <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it could have worked it's just you know there's not enough of a character to Salim. again he's just an yeah. asshole for the whole movie and then all of a sudden it's like my redemption song so <laughs> like yeah i just didn't buy it personally but everything else i liked i liked the whole you know, I like the whole setup with the the who wants a billion millionaire kind of tying back into his personal experiences. I think it's a great framing device. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish they would have they could have done something a little more clever than just falls in with a bad crowd. Yeah, <laughs> drug dealers, guys. Yeah, in the most yeah ambiguous way, like just drug de- <laughs> just generic drug dealers, <laughs> like like the Untouchables. Like the Untouchables doesn't strive to be a, a realistic. Uh, a realistic depiction of poverty. Yeah, or nuanced. It's just like, yeah. oh, they're, they're, you know, oh, it's what poor people do. <laughs> they get involved in crime. Have you heard about this crime? They talk about it in all the papers. Exactly. So I don't know how, say, like award bodies can say like, oh, that's great in Slumdog Millionaire, but we'll just ignore <laughs> it and dismiss it as cliche in another movie. So, yeah, maybe it's, and we speak about this a lot. Strong endings can really carry a movie. So, mm-hmm. what, so what did you think of it, this? I didn't feel a lot of Bollywood influences. Again, this movie's not three hours long and have uh, <laughs> over-the-top action or musical numbers, mm-hmm. but it does end in a dance sequence set to Jai Ho, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's what carried, that's what lifted audiences off their feet and say, "Wow, this movie's great." Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of swept up in it. I mean, I mm-hmm. I. Per- particularly like the end credits where they show the three kids who do uh, the three kind of timelines. And yeah, I, I, I did appreciate that. And I, I, I don't know. I was kind of swept up in the whole, I, there is a lot I like about this movie and I was kind of swept up in the fantastical, like, you know, crowd pleasing aspects of it where it's like, he won, he he made it guys. Like yeah. this is a crowd pleaser. And I think it does kind of get you off your feet. And so I do want to at least give it credit for that. Is everything, is the foundation that's kind of built on around it kind of flimsy? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Is it a very nuanced movie? Absolutely not. But you know, like I can see why one best picture. I have no, qualms with it winning best picture was it my personal top choice of 2008 absolutely not but no the curious know. case of benjamin button was <laughs> <laughs> i think i don't even remember what my favorite movie was that year might have been captain phillips i don't know no it was the wally obviously oh that's right wally yeah, yeah. wally came out that year mm-hmm. yeah wally's great um <laughs> i can't you can't like pixar anymore though greg they're harbingers really, right? of sexual assaulters. Oh, that's true. Um, yes. Well, we don't know about Peak Doctor yet, but... <laughs> yeah, Why do you think he's getting out of there, Greg? Actually, no, it's Lee Ulrich who just left. I yeah. The young Kirk. I'm, I'm, on t- I'm on the pulse of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew that, John. I also 
Duno, yes, I at the very end, I did also like the little montage of how did we get here? And mm-hmm. just like Annie Hall, like we see all the little steps that led us to this uh, big emotional finale. Yeah, the rousing conclusion. Yes. But I, I'm glad you admire it. For me, personally... And again, this really comes down to our taste. If you are going to be like sticky sweet and sentimental and fantastical, if you're going to take that shot, you better not miss with me. Oh. <laughs> and unfortunately, the movie misses too much with that. Um, I would have preferred like a t- if it just stuck to the born into brothels you know, um, <laughs> mode. I might have just misery porn. <laughs> exactly, I might have appreciated it more. Although that documentary is just misery porn. It's it's good. Um, okay. A mini spotlight for that one. Spotlight, 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 spotlight. It's time, Robbie. It's time. Um, but again, I couldn't quite square, like, either be a realistic vision of growing up in the slums of Mumbai or be a fairy tale. You can't be both. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Um, mm. So that's that's what really kind of rankled me about this movie. And again, it beat The Curious Case of Benjamin Button for um, the Best Picture Oscar in 2008. So I will hate it, hate it for eternity. Oh. See, they should have they should have ended it with a montage where some people were meant to be quiz show hosts, some exactly. people born to be cops, <laughs> some people born to be hitmen's for ambiguous <laughs> drug dealers, and some people were just meant to dance. Jai ho, jai ho, jai ho. Again, Greg's biases. We just like guys. I I, I encourage like I encourage our listeners just keep um, working through it. I know how insufferable Greg can be, but we can um, we can get this together. They aren't biases. They're informed by facts and knowledge oh, okay. and reason. <laughs> this okay. is objective film criticism. Thank yes. you very much. <laughs> I just rattle off everything I knew about uh, the latest news <laughs> at Pixar. About Oscar uh, winners of Best Picture. <laughs> and we didn't even get into the plot holes. Yeah. <laughs> it I doesn't see... make sense that Jamal would go. <laughs> I did see a, a, a very informative tweet. Um, I don't know how often in this podcast we've, we just refer back to tweets we like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but somebody did astutely point out. If somebody criticizes a movie for plot holes, generic just plot holes, um, you could dismiss their criticism immediately because they're just an idiot or have been watching too many YouTube video essays. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's a it's a big it's a big point of discussion on on film Twitter right now and film mm. YouTube. You know, criticism just using plot holes basically to rhetorically be like, this is the wrong kind of movie. It's for girls. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what it comes down to. It's usually they have some other kind of like larger bias that they obviously are not addressing and instead i'll use plot holes to pick apart why twilight's stupid it's because it's for girls <laughs> oh i didn't know it, it delved that deeply into the the reviewer psychology i just thought it was a, it was an unnuanced take <laughs> no see, it was just i didn't like it um you know because obviously something doesn't fit logically with you but you, you know you could still be swept up emotionally by it so but, but to just be dismissive dismissive immediately and just say oh plot holes forget it then you know, no they not they think and the, not actually reason it out or explain those explain why uh, a plot 
rankled you in some ways. No, you see, it's idiotic. No, there's a larger kind of like conservatism underlying it. Like, for Uh, example, what's the biggest film that has drawn this kind of plot hole criticism as of late? Well, it's Star Wars The Last Jedi. Exactly. (laughs) And what do you think is the kind of point of contention ultimately with that movie? Well, I, I assume it would be uh, <laughs> Kylo Ren communicating all the way across the galaxy with, with Oh, Rey so he, the, Luke oh, Skywalker sir, can sir. force project <laughs> all the way across planets. <laughs> no, it's because, you know, it's it's meant to be more universal. It's got a female protagonist. And it's like, yeah. That's not my Star Wars. <laughs> That's not my Spider-Man. My Spider-Man's yeah. white. And, of course, it killed our heroes. Well, one of them, at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, fun times, fun times. Film criticism, guys. Aren't you glad that we don't have a YouTube channel? How insufferable would we be then? Exactly. And you can listen to us at work. Mm-hmm. In any event, John, let's let's prove how smart and astute we are with our film criticism. Mm, and I have the perfect structure for it, Greg. How? Well, you are now a contestant on Who Wants to Be an Oscar Winner? <laughs> oh boy, um, <laughs> you've come to the wrong person. <laughs> Greg, tonight, I will be asking you who will win the coveted Oscar in these particular categories. Honestly, have... I, I don't know. I used, to, I used to be smart about these things. Now I'm just dumb. <laughs> well, it's because the, the, the makeup of the Academy is changing so much. You can't keep up with the times, Greg. You're too Absolutely. old and too white. Back back in the day, you used to be the perfect kind of like cross section. Now you're now you're just lost. You're a man in the I, woods. Star Wars isn't made for you anymore. <laughs> exactly, and I think there was more consistency in terms of the awards. Mm-hmm. But it's good that some people are looking at these movies like, oh, that's that's BAFTA worthy. <laughs> <laughs> but is it really Oscar worthy? Hmm. All right, Greg, we're just going to do the heavy hitters, so I'm going to start with editing and work my way up, okay? <laughs> exactly. Let's do the categories that everybody wants to hear. All right, first. <laughs> the ones the that we want televised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, no, let's do, let's do editing first, because that's what's on my list first, so <laughs> okay. working backwards. <laughs> well, okay, let's literally look at the, the four categories that they wanted to omit during commercial, or at least hand out during commercial breaks. Because mm-hmm. these are the ones people will now be looking for specifically. Yes. So, yeah, and if it's if it is uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, like literally, the Twitter will tear its hair out. Um, <laughs> people have been sharing clips of how poorly, like, just shot reverse shot scenes are kind of slip, <laughs> slapped together um, mm-hmm. to to be less boring and. Um, people are dismissing it immediately um i just think it's going to go through vice just because there's a lot of flashbacks and things like that so no give it see, a, give it a hank Cor- a co-win oh, okay. uh, excuse me core win see i was going to go i was assuming it was going to be the favorite because that one's kind of the most artfully done i suppose out of all of them um the only other thing i could think is maybe it would be black clansman because you also have that kind of like big stinger at the end as well i don't know oh, if that's that, enough that's true mm-hmm. yeah that's so true. But hopefully not so, Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody, because yeesh, <laughs> those one. Do we want to go move up to cinematography, John? Because this one I'm really in the woods about. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot of foreign ones here, so it's really hard to tell. <laughs> I So Matthew Lebet, uh, Lebetique has been nominated. He collaborates with Darren Aronofsky. He's been nominated, I, I believe, at least twice before. Mm-hmm. So maybe as, as the Oscars kind of work, it's his turn. Um, I did scare quotes over that, but <laughs> I kind of, I kind of think it'll go to Robbie Ryan just for shooting 
naturally in those fisheye lenses. There's a more distinct look to it versus, say, Roma or Cold War. I think I think the fact that those two movies, not not just one movie, but two were in black and white in this mm. category, will offset each other and split the vote, and Robbie Ryan for the favorite will take it all. <laughs> oh, okay. And we'll get to see his awesome acceptance speech, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I still think I'm still kind of leaning towards the stars one because it's the more more obvious uh, answer. And again, it has that one perfect shot with "Tell me something good." Yes. Like that's the kind of shot everyone was talking about coming out of TIFF or wherever it premiered. So yeah. I have a sneaky suspicion it's probably going to be. Uh, um, it premiered at Venice, John. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been. Uh, gosh, I love being right all the time. <laughs> all right, all right. Greg's up to Dr. the five hundred thousand dollar question. <laughs> yeah. But Greg, three quarters of a million dollars. Who will win Best Adapted Screenplay? Is it A, A Star is Born, B, Black Lantern, C, Can You Ever Forgive Me? This is actually working out perfectly with the letters. Um, yeah. I. <laughs> Holy crap, you're if, right. if Bill Street I. can talk. And then T, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> Again, earnestly, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, based on the past awards, I would go with Beale Street Can Talk. Mm-hmm. The Academy loves Barry Jenkins. He's already won for this category two years ago. Uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is it's weird because it's only adapt. It's six different stories, but it's only adapting one of them, mm-hmm. and is somewhat influenced by another. So, I'm not sure there. It might actually go because. Spike Lee has been nominated for Best Director for the first time, but if, if people want to include him, this is the category to give him the award, because he's not going to win yeah. Best Director, unfortunately. No, and that's that's the thing about the Screenplay Awards. It always feels like the kind of, not the afterthought, but it's like, here's the artistic achievements. Like yeah. That's why when they said that they were going to do the most popular film, it's like, well, it's already kind of segregated that way, guys. Yeah. Like That's why I, <laughs> I didn't understand. And like the Screenplay Awards are the ones that go for the artsier ones, the more, the less crowd-pleasy kind of movies. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was if Beale Street could talk or Black Klansman. And yeah, again, it's like be one of those two. Yeah, and also probably why Ballad of Buster Scruggs ended up here as opposed to more places. Because again, it's just too weird a movie to yeah. be you know in the upper echelons for like acting or directing. Speaking of which, yeah, again, speaking in turns and who deserves it, the, the Coen brothers already have four Oscars in their name. I don't think they're hurting. Like, they, they won't be personally heartbroken if uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs... Especially for a, a Netflix film. Ugh, yeah. ugh, ugh, gross. <laughs> ah, but Greg, best original screenplay. What do you think? Uh, we'll assume I got that right. And yes, I okay. moved on to the, okay. the $100,000 question. <laughs> best original, Greg. What do you think? What do you think? So I'm, I'm feeling the favorite here. Because Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara took what could have been a very staid, boring um, costume drama and gave it gave it a little verb, like it, it put a little turn. In terms of artistic merit, there's a little bit more there mm-hmm. versus the other one, especially Green Book. Green Book is not going to win. I, I, honestly, I don't think anything except maybe Best Supporting Actor um, because of the A backlash about it being a conventional uh, story of like, uh, hey, blacks and whites getting along great. <laughs> so long as... <laughs> But the so, Academy loves those movies. Not, not anymore. Not since it admitted a few members under the age of 60. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Uh, I think Alfonso Cuaron isn't going to get... He's going to get an Oscar for sure uh, on this night. It's not going to be for this category, though. Uh, Vice is a little bit too divisive. I'm not even sure it's that good a movie, but... <laughs> I would say the favorite is the favorite, but look out, one B 
might be Paul Schrader for First Reformed, because I remember last year they gave Best Adapted Screenplay to Call Me By Your Name, which was written by James Ivory, mm-hmm. who of famously of Merchant Ivory Productions, like a, a Lion in Winter, and this was his first ever award, so maybe they'll do it for Paul Schrader, who I don't believe has won an Oscar yet, mm-hmm. um, but is, is a legend in his own right for writing Taxi Driver you know kind of keeping his artistic uh, his artistic vision alive for all these years mm. I mean he doesn't I mean I, maybe I'm wrong but uh, you know we always talk about like who's due do you really mm-hmm. think Paul Schrader is due I to film nerds yes okay well yeah obviously but it's we're talking about the academy here Greg <laughs> film nerds and the academy are two very different polar opposites <laughs> that's true and I think the the end, in terms of having a strong ending, both uh, The Favorite and Paul Schrader, or sorry, both The Favorite and First Reformed have very odd, ambiguous endings. Mm-hmm. Um, but First Reformed really does split your head in half, whereas like <laughs> The Favorite, you still leave it by thinking like, oh, that was a good movie. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> I think the, the Favorite will carry the day in this category. All right. But I, I would be happy, yes, I would be happy if First Reformed, my favorite movie of the year, um, gets honored. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even though I believe also a little wrinkle in the Oscar season has been Paul Schrader being like, uh, hey, that Harvey Weinstein guy is still a nice guy, all right? It's, it's a shame to see Ooh. brilliant men being torn down. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Paul. Paul. Yeah. Oh, He's 86, okay? Give him a break. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, gosh, what has Marty done? Yeah. <laughs> Score says he's going to fall next. Oh, jeez. Okay, sorry, I just want to uh, uh, fact check here. Paul, Paul Schrader is not 86 years old. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> He's a svelte 75. Yes. Um, uh, so, best directing. Ooh, this one's ruffled some feather grics. Do you want to do use a lifeline? I think I will. John, okay. uh, phone a friend. John, will you pick up? <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> or were you an idiot and left your phone in the car? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I gotta run back and get it! <laughs> I abandoned it in a blizzard, apparently. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Well, uh, everyone's saying Spike Lee's due, um, which I wouldn't be mad about. No, but Alfonso Cuarón has won every other like award show so far, mm. and I think there's it's also the fact that this is a very personal story, uh, um, and yeah, and the fact that I think if you handed the screenplay for Roma to any other director, it wouldn't have worked out as well. Like this is a very kind of auteurist vision, and so I think they do want to give it to this kind of creative vision in terms of the, the the fact that it's personal and it's such a kind of distinct in the way that it looks and feels. I think that's why Alfonso Cuarón is going to take home his second best uh, director Oscar. First for Gravity and after this. All right. Yeah. Two, two films that couldn't be any different. I'll be as, the first one to say that. <laughs> as long as it's not going to a white man, I'm happy. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then, all right, big guns, Greg. Big guns. Best big guns. supporting right. actress. I hope it goes to Regina King. Uh, hell yes. Okay. <laughs> Regina the King. I haven't because... even seen a Bill Street could talk, but I just I know <laughs> Regina King is due every time well, she's up for a vote. Yes. Well, don't well don't expect a, a revelatory performance exactly. It's one of those supporting performances where it's just like, oh, that character's nice and supportive. That's uh, I'm sorry. What does Regina King do best? Okay, everything. So therefore, <laughs> if she's in a supporting role, she supports. I know. Well, she doesn't have that. She she doesn't uh, scream, unfortunately, which I think is her greatest asset. But. Okay, fine. <laughs> How can I trust you? <laughs> she doesn't send chills down your spine with her voice, but instead, she, she's more the supportive mother. So, 
if she's going to win, it's going to be for that. However, this is Amy Adams, I believe, sixth nomination with oh, zero they wins. They just love her so much. <laughs> yeah, they, they do love her, but I think she's only like 45. She's going to have many, many, many years of more Oscar-nominated performances, uh, even though she is probably long due. I don't think this is the movie. I saw a clip of, of Vice, and she did... She seems terrible. Um, it's the worst <laughs> kind of like expository, like playing Lynn Cheney and being this obvious Lady Macbeth, Macbeth thing. This is, this is not the performance to honor Amy Adams, I don't think. So no, okay. I, I assume it's going to go to Regina King. All right. I just I feel like Vice just got so much attention because it's like they're trying to make up for like the Michael Moore situation years ago where he got booed off stage for bowling for Columbine or something like that. I feel like it's like they're trying to prove their liberal bona fides a little <laughs> bit. Like, let's, let's. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Is that the type I, of no? I'm because the liberal bona, bona fides would probably favor more people who support the Iraq War. If you look at MSNBC, it's all like former Bush staffers on there oh, saying, no. like, oh, okay. "We agree with Donald Trump." It's just his, his tone and style is not what. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. We all believe in monstrous policies, but we have to make yeah. it more palatable. <laughs> yeah, the new liberal bona fides is like making common cause with these these old ghouls who like, supported okay. the Iraq War. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so I don't think it, John. If that were the case, then uh, Michael Moore's documentary might have gotten a nomination. It didn't. Uh, nor did that uh, Mr. Rogers documentary get nominated. Shockingly enough. So how did that not get nominated? I don't know. I haven't seen any of the other nominees, so it's possible that somehow... Oh, I did see Free, free Solo. I mean, well... <laughs> I don't know. Way <laughs> through, the achievements, through clenched way the fingers. achievements of, say, yeah, of, say being a, a lifelong icon, 30 years on television, or scaling El Capitan without the, the aid of a rope. I mean, weigh those, weigh those things together. <laughs> I just, like... I mean, looking at it, yes, it is a pretty stacked list, but, I mean... Mm -hmm. I, I'm just surprised they weren't able to fit it in there somewhere. Like, really, yeah. RGB? Really? I really? <laughs> John, she's the greatest, okay? <laughs> Given the choice to retire in 2013, she said, no, no, ma'am, no, sir. <laughs> but it I, may be, like... I may be a bag of bones now, but I'm, I'm holding on to this gavel. <laughs> I don't care what happens in the future. <laughs> but at least, like, uh, won't you be my neighbor, like, tries to get to the core of who that person was. RGB is yeah. like, hey, this woman is very smart, and she will continue to be smart. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a commercial for her versus, uh, well, I mean, you could argue that uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor is also a commercial for Fred Rogers. It, well, it's, it's a commercial it's from more, PBS it, and, and public television. Yeah, so... Ugh, we're, we're, we're off track, Greg. We're off track. Back, to, know, the, we back to the show. <laughs> Best supporting role for an actor. Well, you, you and I have our favorites in this category. Mm. Obviously, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Mm. That's not <laughs> who I'm looking for. <laughs> and you have Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though I couldn't understand a word he said. But He's yes, to see, to see him be vulnerable pulling out of the, pulling out of the uh, driveway I just of uh, Jackson Maine's house. <laughs> hold that golden statuette. Cold. That cold statue is cold as an icy cold beer. <laughs> See, that's the thing, John. He's not he's not an emotional guy. And you have to make an emotional appeal for Oscars. So in terms of campaigning, it just doesn't it doesn't Well, work. in terms of campaigning, then Richard yeah. E. Grant would win like three. Because <laughs> yes. Richard E. Grant is on Twitter dancing every day. Yes. It. <laughs> yeah. That said, it'll probably go to Mahersala Ali, I think. Really? He's won every other. Yeah, he's won every other uh, award for it. There, there is a trend of actors doubling up in terms of supporting category because Christoph Waltz won twice too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 
they do love their they do love their supporting roles, I guess. I mean, supporting is a little easier to judge than the main acting one because those are the big stars, the big stars. Yes. yes. Also, it'll give us a chance to honor a, a person of color, which uh, the uh, may surprise you, John. The Oscars don't have a good track record of doing. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. You're kidding me. I, I kid you not, John. I, I'm serious at all times. Well, let's look at best performance by an actress in a leading role. Uh, there's a there's a sea of different shades of tan here. <laughs> John, don't talk about Yelitsa uh, Aparicio. Oh wow, okay. that was a great way to honor her. Butchering <laughs> her name. <laughs> I uh, listen. I good for her. I think it's like a. a a Coins Elite Wallace situation <laughs> where she'll she'll be plucked from obscurity, get a Best Actress nomination, and then never be heard from again. But that's oh, fine. No. Oh, she no. she got her money, she got in, she got out. So okay, that's fine. Elita, we'll... save yourself. You don't no, want to be Hollywood. She'll girl. be she'll be huge in Mexico. She just won't. Mm. She doesn't need Hollywood. All right. Mm. Hollywood is garbage. All right. And it's on fire, and who cares? Exactly. Um, anyway, it's going to Glenn Close. It's her turn. Oh. It's fine. It's... <sighs> no, please tell me no. <laughs> I wanted to go to Melissa McCarthy just so she can kind of like, it, it seems kind of appropriate when you think about it. It's like, oh, the the turn, and now she can do those dumb comedies for us for life. It's like she got her trophy. And now <laughs> she, she can... John, she's doing the dumb comedies regardless. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. She at least might as well get the award, and then she can continue to do them. If she does nothing but them, then we don't have to see her do another dramatic role for a while. <laughs> Not I that I'm like complaining. The... I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, we don't need another Eddie Murphy, you know? <laughs> Well, th- no, but she's not thirsty for one. Is the thing? No, oh, you don't think she. You don't think she wants it bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eddie Murphy was thirsty, and then he oh, had to okay. do what Norbit, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Melissa McCarthy and Olivia Coleman both cut their teeth on sitcoms, though. That's that's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> you think that they, you know, like during rap parties, it's like, we'll see you in twenty years. You'll be holding an Oscar, like, ha <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right, bitch. <laughs> Probably. I'm sure that's exactly what Mitchell and Webb were thinking <laughs> when they were doing Peep Show. Like, one of us. One of us will be holding an Oscar one day. <laughs> I'll always know Olivia Coleman for the classic line, always up for a midnight gobble from <laughs> Hot Fuzz. <laughs> and I, I, would, I do admire Lady Gaga's performance, and <laughs> it would be nice to uh, honor her with an Oscar. Uh, but, if, oh, gosh, if only she was, like, ten years younger. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is this is just the like the again just trying to go with the whole Judy Garland trajectory. It's like yes, 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 it's great performance. You got nominated, but you're not ready to win yet, toots. <laughs> no, I I think it's more the the horny old toads who occupy the Academy. <laughs> Give it to the Emma Stones and the Gwyneth Paltrow's when they're really young. I'm talking oh, like, yeah. twenty six and under. Perfect. Harvey Weinstein told me some stories. <laughs> Speaking of which, John, that's why it's so up in the air. Our, our main man Harvey isn't isn't around anymore. I it's know. It's a shame. Ugh, that's what. That's, it used to be so easy to tell. Once you had these big power players who just got what they wanted, they just took yeah. it. Now who knows? Yeah. It's almost like it's a meritocracy again. Ugh. <laughs> well, it, I don't know if that's true in the bestest actor category. Mm. I think it, it seemed to be. It, we seem to be following the same trends before. Body body transformation. Yeah. Playing a f- old, old, dead, famous person, you know, playing a racist who's not a racist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's probably going to be Rami Malek. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's got to win something, and they might as well just do it for the best part of that bad movie. So, yeah, 
kudos, I guess. <laughs> I think so. And I mean, because Freddie Mercury is a legend, compare that to Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know, a complicated it depends, it depends role, on who you're playing exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see Willem Dafoe live win because I love Willem Dafoe. And I, I guess the Academy does too because he's been getting a lot of nominations recently. Ah, but John Twist. <laughs> The whole world was rankled by Bradley Cooper not getting a Best Director nomination for his debut, his, his glorious debut, A Star Is Born. Do you think? Do you think people will be inclined to honor him here? Um, the I, the answer to that is no. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, the Academy, like again, he's kind of like uh, he's kind of like Emma Stone. Like we'll just keep nominating him every year, no matter what he does. <laughs> exactly. I think he's only in his mid 40s or something. He'll he'll have plenty of more. Oscar chances fall. Exactly, this. he'll have enough time. So, <laughs> just keep pumping out the work that we like, and we'll keep nominating you. And eventually, you'll win. You know, it's a game of numbers. It's a game of numbers. That's the that's the that should be the tagline for the show. Oscars. It's a game of numbers. <laughs> Speaking of which, before we get to our last category, that yes, if if you were to ask me, how do we jazz? How do we zhuzh up the Oscars? I'd say lean into the competition more. Like, do, like, obviously it's inane and stupid to compare Star is Born to Black Panther to Roma. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if we are going to do that, let's, let's make it, let's make it a knockout dragout war. Let's have, like, tables and brackets and, <laughs> you know, let's keep, like, panning over to this, like, big screen where Jimmy Kimmel's like, oh man, that's the, that's the third win tonight for Roma. It's, it's in the lead. And then it, you know, a bar graph, like, grows for Roma or something like that. <laughs> I mean, film nerds do love statistics. So I think that, I yeah. think that would work. That would work. They could, they, I mean, they're already doing like ABC's already doing like all these sports. Like, come on, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know they need to. You're right. They need to lean in. Everyone knows that they campaign for these things. Like everyone exactly. knows, it's not really about the artistic merit. So yeah, let's turn into blood sport, guys. Come on, <laughs> let's let's make it to returns election night coverage. <laughs> let's do that instead. <laughs> Tweet your vote. <laughs> yeah. Did you think Roma was the best picture of the year? <laughs> Exactly. Get on some, I don't know, cable news slugs <laughs> to be like. <laughs> um, actually, Vice is a terrible movie. It doesn't honor the, the wonderful people who are trying to bring democracy to the Middle East. <laughs> so, Greg, mm-hmm. million dollar question. Yes. Final question. Mm. Who will win Best Picture for the 91st Academy Awards? Still a 50-50 left, right? <laughs> yes, you still a 50-50. And it's eight, it's eight nominees, so it's perfectly split yeah. down the middle. <laughs> exactly. So if we can narrow it down to four, mm-hmm. I, I would put it up for the favorite, mm-hmm. Black Landsman, mm-hmm. A Star is Born in Roma. Mm. And I'm thinking it's Roma. D, final answer. <laughs> so I don't know why I called it D. <laughs> I listened to last <laughs> Yeah. Computer, computer, Aji. <laughs> I think he's right. Greg's won a million dollars. It's gonna be Roma. For, uh, just to warn the uh, our listeners, though, if you are filling out an Oscar ballot this year and, and trying to follow my advice, fair warning. In 2010, I thought The Social Network would win Best Picture. Um, mm. It did not. Um, in 2014, I thought Boyhood would win Best Picture. It did not. Yes. Uh, in 2015, I thought The Revenant would win Best Picture. It did not. <laughs> in 2016, I thought La La Land would win Best Picture. It did not. And last year, I thought uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri would win Best Picture. Alas, it did not. So t- take all that with a mountain of salt. <laughs> mm. 
I really f up this category every year. <laughs> See, I had a I had a great three year streak where I called it three times in a row, and yeah, uh, and they were your favorite movies. Of exactly. And going off that, I mean, last year I was wrong. Like I was really hoping mm-hmm. it was going to be Lady Bird, but um, yeah. this year, again, like taking those big swings has clearly worked out for me. I'm going to go Black Panther. I'm just going to say fuck it. Like. <laughs> This will be the institution for the most popular movie. This will be like the Grammys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> best best motion picture of the year will become the most popular movie of the year. I mean, they've already decided, like, this is our statement. This is our stamp. So, fuck it. Lean into it. Yeah. Go all yeah. the way. Yes. Best yes. picture of the year. <laughs> you know, you can have Michael B. Jordan and uh, Lu- Lupicia Nyong'o up there. It'll be great. Everyone will love it. Yeah. Everyone will be, be, everyone's f- be ha- so happy. Exactly. Kevin Feige can go on stage and say, I'm the king of the world. Like, I own all of you now. You, you had a sense of it, but now it's true. I own this night as well. And no one will, you know, point out any Disney conspiracy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, who cares if Disney owns the best picture and this the channel that actually is premiering this thing? Like, there's clearly, it's just, it's integration, I guess, a little bit. You, you say that. Yeah, I, I am playing those politics as well because... Okay, yeah, it'd be great synergistically if um, Black Panther won. Well, if that were the case, Mary Poppins Returns would also have oh, more I guess nominations that's also this year. True. <laughs> I guess that's also true. <laughs> yeah, the favorite is a Fox Searchlight picture. They're they're they've leapfrogged Harvey Weinstein in terms of getting their nominations and campaigning mm-hmm. and really asserting their will over award season. But Roma, this is the weird one. This is Netflix's baby, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know. They've I believe the first time that they've ever gotten a Best Picture nomination. So are they experienced campaigners? Um, Do they have Mm. the connections to uh, make it Best Picture winner? But assuming that it's won every other award and it stands out more than, I don't know, say, Bohemian Rhapsody or Vice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that people can actually see it today, since a lot of... I guess, yeah, that would would also be a big win for it, I guess. Because, again, they have to pick something that people are familiar with. And I think that's ultimately why the winners have been the winners in the past few years is that they usually are tend to be the more popular ones and the people the ones people have seen i mean guess not moonlight but mm-hmm. uh, i definitely think shape of water had more of a draw than any other one that was nominated that year uh, i can't think of like the, the the big blockbuster that got nominated last year but i'm sure i assume there was one of them <laughs> yeah well that also benefited from a great campaign from fox searchlight i believe so oh okay where's a24 at i thought a24 was going to usurp the throne I don't. I don't know. Yeah, they they've had a rough year. I I believe it's it's not Vice, is it? No, that's a Paramount no. project, I think. But project. L- listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen to me, Hollywood Insider over here. <laughs> Let me tell you about my screenplay. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me tell you about my screenplay or the coverage I'll be having from the Vanity Fair party after the show. <laughs> you can see all about it on our social media pages: Facebook at Aspiring Snobs, Twitter at Aspiring Snobs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you're feeling cagey, you can reach out to us directly. Give me your card, honey. And yes. you can reach out to us at aspiringstops at gmail.com. Yes, I'm looking for sources. You can contact me <laughs> securely on our channel, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Find us on our Discord page. Uh, yeah. Find us on our Veritas. Is that still a thing, Veritas? I don't Verit? Know. Oh, Verit. Uh, no, unfortunately. Oh, okay. it's, it's it's long gone. No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hillary people, they try so hard. No, but, <laughs> 
we've gotten too political. <laughs> yes. Let's get away from politics and just say, hey, if you like uh, like our show, think about you know throwing us a, a positive review and a subscription, and uh, we'll feel better about ourselves. And uh, you'll be supporting the show. Give us five stars on our podcast service of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. It could really help us out and help more people join the Aspiring Stops community. Yes, and we want you to be part of that community by enjoying the movies and award shows along with us. So if you're, you're up to uh, following along on Twitter as we live blog the Oscars. Mm-hmm. That'll be maybe, fun. Yes, <laughs> and maybe you'll want to watch the movie that we're watching next week, John. What is it? Next week we are, again, containing the theme of Best Picture winners, and we are going to be revisiting the, the nexus point of Oscars So White. <laughs> we are going to be the, the, the main the, – the roots – of where all this kind of Oscar contention has come from. It all springs up from 12 years, a slave. As many astutely pointed out in 2013, white guilt the movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I, having, having seen it already, you have not, but I, mm-hmm. I having seen it already, thinks it, it, it's better than that title suggests. But okay. I, I guess we'll get your opinion, huh, John? Won't no, we? I mean, I am the kind of final word on these things, so <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and we're looking forward to the Oscars this Sunday. In the meantime, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, and until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs> thank you, John, for steering us away from the obvious choice. Uh, John. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think people have already got that's worm. Yes, people are already. That's already more than I think. Yeah.